morning, everybody. Please excuse the voice. I'm looking for sympathy this morning, so. <laughs> so I thought I'd put it on. I, earlier this week, I sounded like a, a young boy who's going through puberty, so didn't know what that was about. But it's such a joy and a privilege for me to be able to be with you today. Um, as you can tell, I'm not from these parts. I actually live up in Manchester, um, so I've got a very strong Mancunian accent, and for that I do apologize. Um, but I just love living up there, and um, no, I'm originally from South Africa. But thanks, Malk. Thanks, Trish. Um, it's to see my friends again. I want to thank the guys doing the visuals and the sound. Sometimes when these gremlins get in, you know, everybody checks you out, and we bless you. We bless you, and thank you so, so much. Thank you, worship team, for the beautiful time of worship. I wonder if we can just put our hands out in front of us, just for a few seconds. You don't have to lift them up. Just put them in front of you. And I'd love you, if you wouldn't mind, just tilting your head a little bit. Just lift it up. Just lift it a bit. And Lord, I thank you that this morning we put our hands out before you and we lift up our gaze to you. Lord, each one of you needs an encounter with you. It's different to the other person. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill this place. And now what I would love you to do is just turn your hands over. You know, we carry so much stuff, don't we? Big stuff and little stuff and frustrating stuff and failures and joys and everything else. And we just, for a few seconds, symbolically, just let it go. Just like the song in Frozen, let it go, let it go, let it go. And then turn your hands back up. And uh, Lord, we want to be able to live that song that we sang in every, every season of our lives to bless your name. It's one thing to sing, and it's another thing to live out, don't you find? And so, Lord, we welcome you. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you a little bit about the organization that I have the privilege of overseeing in South Africa. It's in Cape Town, beautiful, beautiful nation called New Day United. So I brought along some slides to share with you, 7,544 of them. <laughs> Don't you love it when, have you ever had that? When you go into um, somebody's house who's been on holiday and they say, let me show you all my pictures. And we all fake it, don't we? We go, oh, that's lovely. And we're thinking, dear God in heaven, just take me home. No. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you a little bit about where I work. Cape Town's a very beautiful city, but I work in three areas, and not just me. I'll, I'll introduce the team to you. In Tamba Village, Manenberg, and Guguletu. And those are near the airport, and many of our people live in shacks. And um, it's high gangsterism, it's high unemployment, HIV, AIDS. It's very big in our area. And um, it's just devastating. But God has called us into there. We've been there for seven years. And this is our team that we work with. And I just love them. God has added some more since that photograph was taken. Myself and Rachel, who are down the bottom on the um, 
your left. Um, we oversee the office here in South Africa. We have a board in South Africa, a board here. And then Elizabeth Clack is um, our, our trauma counselor. A few years ago, we had an armed robbery. They came in and held up our team and our people with guns. And so she's been with us ever since and just, nobody lost their lives, which we thank the Lord for. Um, but we lost a lot of equipment, but praise the Lord for insurance. That's what I say. And um, so we've got this amazing team who don't just have a job, they have a calling and they live in the area. And so we have a number of programs that we run um, I'm not going to go through them all. We've got some amazing things that happen in the morning. Um, and we are reaching phenomenal amounts of people. And then in, the, then in the afternoon, we have our kids. Many of them, you'll see, I put their daily food. Many of them, that's the only meal that they will get for the day. And so those, you know, who live here, there are many here in our communities, and especially we see it in Manchester as well, um, where a lot of the kids, one meal a day. So we are committed to give them some good food. And we've also, um, yeah, there's a lot that goes on with us. But um, one of the joys and the privileges we had was last year, um, we started running, an, uh, well, two years ago, running a program called uh, Work for a Living. And um, in 2023, 80, over 80 people gave their, um, found employment. Isn't that amazing? So 80 families suddenly have somebody in that home who has a job. And the Department of Labor in South Africa has asked if they can be involved with us. So we're super excited about that. But even more than that, our reason for existing is kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so last year we saw over 200 people give their lives to Jesus. Some of them have been in gangs and give their lives to Jesus and we're putting them through a discipleship program. So they don't just give their lives to Jesus, they grow as Christians. And so this year for us, last year was the year of overflow. This year is the year of trust. And Proverbs um, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. So we're super excited with what God's going to do. And I'd love you, I'll show you the logo one more time. Thank you, Nick. Um, I'd love you to maybe sign up and follow us on social media. If you want to partner with us, click that newsletter button. But... Uh, would love your prayers more than anything else. So thank you for that. But I want to share with you, and I know blessed are the short-winded, for they shall be invited back. I want to share a little bit with you this morning. And I want to start by saying this. Everybody's story counts. Everybody's story counts. And beloved, you may not think your story counts, and I know those kind of feelings. But here's what God says to over you and over me, that we are significant in significance. We're significant, each one of us. And here's the incredible thing is that God does not define us by our failures. We were singing this morning about lifting up holy hands. It's not because we're getting all our ducks in a row. It's because of his kindness and his grace. And as Africans, we love to tell stories. The bigger the story, the better. 
And so I want to tell you a little story in opening today of somebody that I know. And this story took place in, uh, the 19, in, in 1985. And this young girl who I know was, um, lived on the east coast of South Africa um, in a place called Natal, KwaZulu-Natal. And uh, she was vibrant. She was involved in music, actually, like Trishwa is. And uh, her and a group of friends went down to the beach, lovely Indian Ocean. And they were down there kind of having fun together and, you know, just doing what young people do. And um, they had just introduced the thing called a super tube, uh, one of those flumes, you know, those water slides that come down. And so her and her friends decided they would go on this water slide, and they'd been on it a number of times. No health and safety in South Africa, so everybody just goes together. And one of her friends was a rugby player, played for uh, a team um, in South Africa called the Sharks. And uh, he was behind her. There was another friend in front of her. They went down one last time. And as they went into the water, the one guy went to the side. The other girl, the girl should have actually gone to the other side. But she lifted her head. And at that moment, this rugby player was a lock behind her, shot his legs forward and hit her in the back of the head. And she hemorrhaged on the brain. And there was a funny little story that happened with all of that because they rushed her to the local smaller hospital in a place called Port Shepston. And uh, for a while they wouldn't see her because they thought she was drunk. And eventually they managed to say to the sister in charge of accident and emergency, actually, this is what's happened. And so then all actions sprang. And uh, they, by this stage, they started to do some tests on her and she had no feeling in her right hand and in her right leg. And uh, they rushed her through to go and have x-rays. And that's where a funny little story happened because a friend of hers was praying in tongues. Now, it's debated a lot, but I tell you, she was praying in this thing called glossolalia, the Bible talks about. And so she's running along next to this girl. And the doctor says to the girl who's par uh, paralyzed, listen, your friend, your Greek friend, can't go into the x-rays with you. Could you tell your Greek friend to stay outside? And of course, the girl, Jill, who was praying, was like, I don't speak Greek. <laughs> but anyway, she went in, and uh, to cut, cut the story short, was that um, there was this paralysis. They moved her to a bigger hospital, and two neurosurgeons saw her, and they immobilized her immediately when she got up there. and. Uh, she was totally immobilized for a month, and then after that, she was allowed a bath. And while she was in the bath, first baths in ages, well, she'd had lots of bed baths, but no, um, she had another hemorrhage on her brain. And uh, here's the kindness of God, the little details. And this is five o'clock in the morning. Why do hospitals feel that baths are good to have at five o'clock in the morning? And anyway, they did. And at that moment, they pulled her out the bath and they rushed her back to the ward. And that moment, the neurosurgeon who was looking after her, he was up for surgery. And he thought, oh, I'll just go and check up on her. And the lift doors opened as they were rushing her back. And he was there at that moment. 
and he was rather a doer man, apparently, and he said, you were the first paraplegic streaker I'd ever seen. Um, and she lay there and she recalled hearing them say, we're losing her. And there was one scripture that's found in Isaiah 53, but it's also found in the New Testament in Peter. And it says this, by his stripes, we are healed. And she held on to that and her vitals came back and she was able to sit up. She was still paralyzed. And then they took her to go and have a whole lot of CAT scans and, and keflograms and everything else. And they said, you'll never walk again and you'll never use your right hand again. But this girl loved Jesus and she loved what God was doing in her life. She had the most amazing family and friends who just chose to speak life over her. And slowly but surely, the Lord brought an amazing physiotherapist into her life called Margaret, said to her, there are two options here. The one option is that we just maintain you. And the other option is that we put you on a progressive program, which is quite dangerous psychologically, but we work with you that maybe you can, we can rewire your brain. And I, the, the young girl went, okay, let's go with that. Let's go with the progressive program. And so it was a long, long journey from a wheelchair and then onto crutches and then a stick and then started walking. And she was walking and then she relapsed just uh, two years after that and then relapsed again another year, uh, four years after that. And the miracle is that she still has damage on her brain, according to the neurosurgeons. Her father, when he was alive, used to say to her, well, darling, sometimes when you open your mouth, it's not difficult to see. <laughs> He's with Jesus now. And beloved, that person is my story. That's my story. That's what happened to me. And I love, I'm so honored that I have that story. I've had people come up to me and go, oh, I just don't believe it. And then I get very African and I say, I couldn't care a hoot whether you believe it or not. I know what I went through. And I know that I had two neurosurgeons and a psychiatrist and a physiotherapist working with me. And that's where I met Trish and Malk the first time when I was on one crutch. Uh, I'd been asked to come and give my story at one of the Bible weeks. I think it was Southwest Bible Week, Shepton Mallet. But I think one of the things I want to say this is that one of God's characteristics is that he is the healer. It's at the very heart of who God is. And it is a fact that he heals. But we have to look at healing through the lens of eternity. So, precious lady, we prayed for you, and I'm so sorry that you lost your husband. But how wonderful that we have the lens of eternity. How wonderful. And we have to be able to look through that lens. And it's incredible to know that 25% of the gospel includes healing. Isn't that amazing? 
And so we see healings in many, many ways. We see social healings. Thank you. If I can have that next slide up. Social healings. And that's into communities like we're doing in, in uh, Cape Town. What are you doing here? And please don't feel sorry for the people around here. What a privilege to be able to minister to them. And as a South African, we are seeing ongoing the healing of apartheid. Everybody loves to make it just a South African problem. No, it's a world problem. And in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways or turn from their wicked opinions, then I will hear from heaven. And I, says the Lord, will forgive their sins. Isn't that great? I love the fact that he forgives our sins. And then he says, I will heal their land. And that Hebrew word is the word rafa. I don't know much Hebrew. I'll stun you with the bits I do know. And that means to heal, to repair, to make whole. And the next lot of healing is spiritual healing. And I love the fact that I have Jesus in my life. I want to say this, there's not a religious bone in my body. But I have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'm so grateful for that, that he loved me first. And in John 3, verse 16, it says, we know the scripture well. For God so loved, I love it, the world, not just the church. He loves the world that he gave his only son. He loves this crazy world that we live in. And he gave his only son. And I've just been reading through Mark again at the beginning of this year and just reading the story of Jesus's life again. It says, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have, there's that word, everlasting, everlasting life. And in Romans 6 verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin, that's what sin does is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So there's social healing, there's spiritual healing, and then there's soul healing of our mind and our will and our emotions. And in John 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Above all else, I pray that you prosper and be in good health, be sound in health, just as your soul, your mind and your will and your emotions prosper. And God wants to bring that healing. And, of course, then what I've shared my story, that physical healing. And that there is a link between the spirit and just the science of, I love doctors. I have lots of doctor friends. And there are miracles that only God can give. The doctors can do their bit. But the miracle, it lies with God. And as I mentioned early on in the Gospels, there's so many stories of healings. And I just was imagining them again. And there's this story in John 5. And I'm going to tell it in the first person. Can you imagine? This guy goes, and there I was. I was lying at the pool of Bethesda with all these other crocs, all these broken people. And because I couldn't walk, and I identify with that, couldn't get into the blimmin' pool. 
And so one day I'm lying there and this chap walks in to the area between the colonnades, between the columns, and we catch eye to eye. And he walks over to me and then he says this, do you want to get well? Well, for goodness sake, of course I do. I don't want to be lying here next to this pool for the rest of my life. And so I said, yes, but the problem is I can't get into the pool. Nobody will help me into the pool. Then he looks at me and he says this, get up, pick up your mat and walk. For goodness sake, look at this body of mine. But hey, I might as well give it a go. And so I lift myself up and suddenly I can walk. And instead of the mat always carrying me, I'm carrying the mat. Amazing story. You see, sometimes we read it so clinically. And then there's this incredible story that's found in Matthew chapter 8 of this leper. And his story may have gone like this. I had leprosy, which meant that nobody wanted to have anything to do with me. That walk away from me. I had to walk around with a blimmin' bell to let people know that I had leprosy. But I'd heard about this man who was doing the most incredible things. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to take a chance here. And so I run. I see him coming by, and I run to him, and I kneel down in front of him. And I say, Lord, please, if you're willing, please heal me. And the incredible thing is that this man, Jesus, says, I am willing. And I looked down at my body, and I was instantly healed. Isn't that amazing, amazing story? And then there's a story. Are you okay with me telling a few stories here? And then there's a centurion, you know, that's found. And he, was in, he was in the army. And his servant was paralyzed. And so he hears the stories. You know, good stories get told a lot. I like good gossip. don't like bad gossip, but I really like good gossip. And so he hears, hey, Jesus is coming by here. And so what he does is he goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, I don't deserve you. Let's put it in the first person. Lord, I don't deserve you to come to my row. Just say the word. I think you can do this for my servant. Just say the word. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house. No, 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 don't come to my house. No, you don't need to do that. I know what it is to be under authority. You can just say the word and everybody jumps. And Jesus makes this comment, which I love. He says, man, this guy's got faith. Isn't that lovely? And it says, instantly, his servant who was way over the other side, wasn't even there was healed. And then there's one more story, which I love. And ladies, we will identify with this. Sorry, gentlemen, but it's in the Bible. And I'd had an issue, says this woman, for 12 years of blood. And so because of that and because of the laws and rules of the church, of the temple, I really wasn't to be seen in public during those times. And I was isolated and alone. And I heard that Jesus was coming. And so I went out and I saw him. 
but there were so many people around him. But something inside of me just went, what the heck, I'm a woman, let me do this. And so I pushed through and I thought, if I just touch his cloak, doesn't have to say anything, just touch his cloak, maybe, maybe there'll be something in that. And I pushed through and I touched him and instantly I could feel something go on in my body. Instantly. And then he goes, who touched me? And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what do I do now? I just touched his cloak. And his disciples were going, loads of people touched you, Jesus. And then he turned and he looked at me and I knew. He knew it was me. And so I said, it was me. And he looked at me and said, go and be well. And those amazing, amazing stories. And there are so many other stories. But beloved, if we're going to look at healing, we can't box it into a formula. There's no big formula on this. But the Lord is the divine healer. And I realize, as I said, that doctors treat. But it's only God alone who can heal. And the important thing, I always say this about my story, the important thing is that it never stops with me, but that people see Jesus. If they just infatuated about my story, I was, when I got healed, all these invitations came in. And I was invited onto Good Morning America. And at that stage, I had a, um, ministry, I, was, I used to sing as well. can't believe it, but I did. And it was called Tehillah Ministries. It's a, it's a Greek word, which, a Hebrew word, which means praise. But I was on this program, and this American guy was very officious and, you know, got me down. And I, they told him my, the thing was called Tehillah Ministries. And he said, well, we just want to invite Lynn Swart here from Africa. And she oversees a ministry called Tequila Ministries. <laughs> And I just went, oh, it's a different spirit. <laughs> felt so stupid. But the thing that is so important in this collaboration of healing is the word hope that anchors our minds and our souls in Christ Jesus. And the question that I was asked so many times after I started walking again was when did the healing take place? And in all honesty, I can say throughout, throughout my whole journey, it was a, a healing that took place in my spirit. I loved Jesus. I was a follower of Jesus. But in that moment, there was such a challenge to curse God and die. And I remember saying the rubbers met the road and I love Jesus. No matter what, I will not become offended with him. And it was a constant thing that I had to say over myself constantly as I lay in that hospital ward. And that whole area took loving him and commitment to him and trusting him. And then there was a healing in my soul and it wasn't rosy. No, I wish I could say it was, that it just went from one glory cloud to the next. And I got angry. I got angry at God. I got angry at this stupid man who hit me in the head. 
I got disappointed by what I could do and what I couldn't do in physiotherapy. Sometimes I could do stuff and then it wouldn't work. And I suffered with the pity parties, had loads and loads of that. And then I'd feel guilty for having pity parties. And then there was fear. What's going to happen to me? I was 28. What's going to happen to me? And the most devastating one for a period of time was depression to a point of wanting to commit suicide. And I tried to get my mum involved. And I said, please, can you just get me to that window in the room? And I'd figured out, even though I was paralysed, I was a dead weight, if I used this hand, I could pull myself up and then I could fling myself out of the window. And mum was so darling. She just looked at me and she was a Norwegian lady with beautiful blue eyes. And she said, darling, I'd love to help you, but it would do nothing for dad's reputation in the city. And left the room. And I remember shouting out after her, you dilly old bat. And so there was. But in 2 Corinthians 10 was one of the scriptures that helped me. It said, we are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's this collaboration that goes on. And I often say every decision I make determines the direction I walk in and the destiny that I will reach. And the other scripture that helped me was in Philippians 1 verse 3 where it says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that was a tricky one. I had to die to self-pity. And then I had to acknowledge that the enemy was absolutely out to kill me. And I just said, he is not going to get the glory. And I got to a point where I just said, Lord, even if I never, ever walk again, I will walk in eternity with you. In fact, I will run. And I knew that God was my hiding place, it says in Psalm 32. 